Ready? Let's get to work. Open your Bible with me to the book of Romans. If you haven't figured it out, we're going to be here a while on this book of Romans. So we're in chapter 5 today at verse 6 is how far we have made it to this point. And before I go any further, I just want to take one more opportunity to say we won't be here next Sunday. Okay? I want to be real clear because every year we have the fall festival. Some of you show up. And I know that you're excited for Sunday morning worship. So I'm okay with that, except that just we're not going to open the doors. So <laughs> next Sunday, we will be from 3 to 6 at Cottom's Farm out there on Lake Marion County Road. Don't miss it. And bring your neighbors, bring your family. It is a great event to be at, but we do need you to register. So go online or text the word festival, whatever it is. Register, sign up to bring something, bring your family and friends. Next Sunday, 3 to 6, our annual fall festival. Okay? Last warning. We won't be here next Sunday. Okay, Romans. The title of today's sermon is this. You ready for your note takers? The love of God. Simple, the love of God. You, you already feel good, don't you? Because this is going to be one of those positive messages. The love of God. And, and I am a, a kind pastor. I'm going to tell you the main idea right now. Okay? I don't do that so that you will doze off, but just in case you decide to stop listening to me, you will have gotten the main point, okay? Here we are. This is the main idea, so write this down. Did you get those notes? They probably write that down for you already. Underline it. Because God loves us, Christ died for us, making us right with God and making us friends with God. You got it? I'm going to give you some time. I'm going to say it again. Because God loves us, Christ died for us, making us right with God and making us friends with God. I don't watch a whole lot of TV. I do watch sports, though, on TV, so I know you probably think that I'm just wasting all my time. But the other day I was watching a football game and I saw a commercial. And I just want to... See if maybe you've seen this commercial. It's a rocket mortgage commercial. I saw it like eight times in the middle of one game, so it must be popular commercial right now. The comedian Tracy Morgan is in it, and it starts out with his family in a living room thinking about buying this house, and the wife says, can we even afford this house? And the husband says, I'm pretty sure. And Tracy Morgan shows up and says, pretty sure. With rocket mortgage, you can be certain. And the husband asks, well, what's the difference? And Tracy Morgan says, let me show you. And then they are transformed, this family and Tracy Morgan, to all these different scenes. The first one, they're walking in a forest, and Tracy Morgan says, I'm pretty sure these mushrooms aren't poisonous, right? And they're in an airplane about to jump out, and he says, I'm pretty sure these backpacks are actually parachutes, okay? And then, and then uh, they, they are going on, and they, they are in the front yard under a tree, and he says, I'm pretty sure these hornets aren't the murdering kind, right? And so then the tagline at the end, it says, when you're buying a home, pretty sure isn't sure enough. You need to be certain. Rocket mortgage. Well, church family, today, when it comes to your salvation, pretty sure isn't sure enough. You need to be certain. And the Apostle Paul wants you to know that there is assurance in salvation if you understand Salvation correctly, and you have been saved the way that God has planned for you to be saved, which is the only way. I wonder why we struggle with this whole assurance thing. I've seen it with teenagers for 20 years, and I even talk to adults, and I ask the question, are you saved? Well, I think. I think. I mean, I go to church. You know, my, my, my dad was, 
was a pastor or, or yeah, I mean, I, I go to this Bible study or I have a Bible. And it's all these questions about this assurance. And we're not certain if we're saved or not. But I want you to hear today that that comes because we are uncertain when we think that we are in charge of our salvation. If it's up to me and my good works and my good deeds, I will always wonder if I have done enough, won't I? How can I go to sleep and rest with any kind of peace if I think salvation is up to me and my effort? But I want you to know today that when salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, it does bring assurance. Dr. Lloyd-Jones says that nothing can give greater assurance of the certainty of our salvation and its finality than the very love of God. And that's what the Apostle Paul is concerned with in today's passage, the love of God. So what's the name of the sermon? The love of God. See how I came up with that so easily. Okay. So let's dive into to, to chapter 5, verse 6 here. We'll start with verses 6 through 8. It says this, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Verse 6 is one of the greatest verses in the Bible, in my humble opinion. Okay, so if I were you, I would underline verse 6, highlight it, circle it, memorize it. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. It, it, it kind of says it all, doesn't it? It's a great, great little one-sentence, sane statement, image of God's love for us. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. That's the gospel. I love that. Is there a greater statement of God's love? You need to memorize that. Logan, great to see you. Memorize it. Romans 5, 6. Okay. In a sense now, Paul is kind of repeating what he said in chapter 3, isn't he? Now, if you missed Pastor Sid's sermon from Romans 3, 21 and on, you need to go back and listen to that. It's one of the most important passages in all the Bible. Or if you have just forgotten it, let me remind you what Paul said in Romans 3.21. He said, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. There is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Paul is saying the same thing again. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Thank you, Lord. Now, let me ask you a question. Why does Paul repeat himself? I mean, we only got a certain amount of chapters in this letter. He's writing to his buddies. Why does he repeat himself? It's important, yeah. Any teachers in the room? Good teaching is repetition. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, I thought it was. Why is good teaching repetition? Because learners need to hear things more than one time because we forget, don't we? I mean, I do. I need to hear things over and over again. Paul is doing that. But secondly, Paul is repeating himself because he has something different in mind, too, a different point. He repeats himself here in chapter 5, but in chapter 3, he wants to show that there is no other way of justification except this. But here in chapter 5, it's not so much to show the way of salvation as it is to show the love of God that crafted such a way. Of salvation. Does that make sense? He wants to talk about the love of God and how deep that love is. What a great song we just sang. 
Our salvation and the assurance of our salvation do not depend on our love for God. Is that good news for anyone? Our salvation and the assurance of salvation does not depend on our love for God. You know this is good news because you know how shallow our love can be sometimes. I might wake up one day loving someone really good and the next day everything has changed and I don't love that person so good. My love is shallow. My love is changing. God's love is eternal and never failing. My salvation and the assurance of my salvation is God's love for me that matters. That's huge good news for me. And that's what the Apostle Paul is wanting to show us in today's passage. God's love. God the Father. And I think it's important that I say that. God the Father. We need to remember that God the Father initiates salvation. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. Yes? We shouldn't see God the Father as kind of passive when it comes to salvation. Like God the Father created the world and then it went to sin and then Jesus showed up and saved the day unbeknownst to God the Father. That's not what happened. God the Father had this plan for salvation before even creation started. And you might say, well, wait a minute. God the Father loving all of us, even in the midst of our sin, this is contradictory to the rest of the Bible because the rest of the Bible tells me God hates sin. He's against sin. He is angry about sin. He is wrath towards sin. Isn't that a good question? How can the two be the same? How can the two be true at the same time? How can God hate sin, have anger towards sin, want to pour out his wrath towards sin, and at the same time love us unconditionally? But there is no contradiction. Lloyd-Jones says it this way. Listen to this. In the same great and eternal God, there is a hatred of sin, and at the same time, this everlasting and eternal love to the sinner. Isn't that awesome? There is no other lover like that. So there is no conflict. Both are there. And because of his love for us, salvation was God's plan even before creation. Look at what he says at verse 6. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. I got to admit that when I began studying this a couple of months ago, when I read that at the right time, I circled it and put question marks on my notepad. What does this mean at the right time? At the right time Christ died? What does that, what does that mean? Why do you even say that? And my first thought was, well, God's God. You know, I mean, he created time. So whenever Jesus died was obviously the right time because God's God. He said it was the right time. Who am I to even ask the question? But he says, Paul says, at the right time. So it means something. And this is what it means. It means that when it had been proven that man could, without a doubt, never save himself. When it was completely clear. No more reason, no more time to try. The people of God had had the law for over 1,400 years when Jesus died on the cross. Plenty of time for the people of God to prove that they could save themselves by completely living according to the law and God's ways. And they had failed miserably. Are you with me? They failed miserably. This is what Paul told us in chapter 3. Verse 20, he said, For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, because through the law comes knowledge of sin. The law couldn't do it. The world had had more than enough time to show it could save itself, and they had failed. The law couldn't save them. Even wisdom and philosophy could not save them. This search for truth and this great age that they had had about, about philosophy could not save them. Only God and his gift of grace 
That's what Paul was saying in his letter to the church at Corinth. Listen to what he says in 1 Corinthians 1.21. For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. They could not figure it out on their own. They could not search enough to figure it out and be wise enough to know God. So it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. You're going to hear this word believe, faith, all throughout today because that is the only way to justification, to salvation. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That should be your mantra for your entire life. That's it. That's how we have assurance that we have been saved. We didn't deserve it in the beginning. So if he's given it to us, we can be certain that he won't take it away because of his great love. The reason it's so hard for us to wrap our minds around this is because that kind of love is completely foreign to us, isn't it? Completely. Paul tries to describe here God's love for us in verse 7 and 8. Let's look at this. Verse 7. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is this human love versus God's love. He says a human might die for someone else, right? Maybe. I mean, every once in a while we'll hear a story of someone willing to die for someone else, another human being. It doesn't happen often. Or what are some thoughts that might come to your mind thinking about a human dying for a human? Maybe a soldier? Someone who's willing to die, not just for one person, but for a nation, his idea, democracy, freedom, yeah? What about, like, even just one-to-one, like the Secret Service guy that'll jump in front of a bullet to save the president because he thinks, well, okay, the president is more important than me and the idea of the presidency, right? What about a parent? Any parents in the room willing to die for their kid? Yeah? You know, because we think, you know, we think, okay, well, if it did come down to it and it's their life or mine... I've had, you know, 40, 50, whatever years it's been. I would want them to have that. So, yeah, I'll go. That's kind of, as a parent, that's kind of easy to think that way, okay? I mean, I hope it doesn't come to that, but, you know, um, I'd still do it, okay? Um, (laughs) But but other than those things, there's just not a whole lot of stories of one person dying for someone else, humanly speaking. It's just kind of foreign. But even if they would do it, God's love is so much better because he didn't just die for someone who met him halfway or had done really good. He died for sinners, still weak, ungodly sinners. And he describes us as that. Look in verse 6. He says, for while we were still weak. I want you to circle the word weak in your Bible. Weak like a baby, okay? Utterly helpless when it comes to our salvation. When a baby comes out of the womb, there is absolutely nothing the baby can do for itself. Everything has to be done for it. This is what he said we were like. We were weak, not able to do any. We couldn't accomplish 5% of our salvation. And while we were in that position, Christ died. Circle the word ungodly there at the end of verse 6. Your Bible might say sinners, but that's what it is. Ungodly, without God, we were sinners. And in verse 8, he calls us that again. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, circle sinners again, Christ died for us. We had missed the mark, right? So that's what Pastor Sid's been talking about in, in the book of Romans. This idea of sin is like the archer who takes the arrow back, trying to hit the bullseye. Let's go and misses the bullseye. He misses the whole target. The arrow ends up in the woods over there on the ground somewhere. That's us when it came to us trying to live up to God's perfect standard and his law. Completely missed the mark. 
Church family, can I tell you something, though? God loves weak, ungodly sinners. Do you hear me say that? God loves weak, ungodly sinners. That's really good news for me. Okay? God goes over, picks up the arrow out of the woods that you completely missed, and shoves it in the bullseye and goes, I know you missed it, but Christ hit it, and you get credit for it. No wonder it's so hard for us to think about, because no one would ever do that on earth. But an all-loving God who never fails, he did that for us. That's what was done for me on the cross. That's what was done for you on the cross. And verse 8, he says, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God is the ultimate teacher. And you know, as a teacher, sometimes you can't just tell kids stuff. You've got to show them stuff. God shows his love for us by sending his son Jesus to the cross. The cross is where God shows his love for us. My mom was a minister of music for many years, and I love ministers of music, and I love hymn books. I used to have the hymn book memorized. You tell me a hymn, I would tell you what number it was. And I love the old hymn, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, written by a guy named Isaac Watts. And in case you've been only, you know, indoctrinated by all this, you know, contemporary music, let me read some of these words to you. (laughs) When I survey the wondrous cross... When I look at it, when I meditate on it, when I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and poor contempt on all my pride. The last verse says, were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small when compared to the cross. Love so amazing, so divine. And in the middle of those verses, he says this. He says, see, look, or uh, survey, see from his head, his hands, his feet. Sorrow and love flow mingled down. This is how you know the love of God. You go to the cross. You survey it. You look at it. You think about everything that Jesus had to go through on it for us. You don't wait for some sort of emotional feeling to go, oh, yeah, now I love Jesus. You don't try to conjure up some feeling when, when Brian is singing such pretty music. You go, oh, this must be what love is. No, you just go to the cross and stare at it. And you remember what Jesus did in your place on it. And then you will know the depth of the love of Christ and God for you. Let's continue. Sorry to get all upset. But if you don't know the love of God, I would encourage you, go find you a cross somewhere and just sit down and stare at it until you see it. That's it. Okay. This act of love of God, okay, this Christ on the cross in our place as a substitute has not only taught us about and shown us the love of God, it's also accomplished a couple of things for us, Paul says. So let's look at this. God shows his love for us by having Christ die for us, and it has done two things. The first is it has justified us. Look at verse 9. Since there we have now been justified. You should square that word. It's a big theme in all of Scripture. By his blood much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. What did Christ's death accomplish for us? It has justified us, okay? Now, that's legal language, okay? You can think courtroom language, like law and order, okay? God is the judge, okay? The law is the plaintiff, and we are the defendant. And we, there's no defense for us. Everything that the law says we've done, we've done it. We don't need anything to say. And God is the judge, and he's fixing to hammer down guilty, Okay? 
But justified means we have been saved from this wrath of God. We have been saved from the judgment that we did deserve because of our sin. We have been moved from guilty to not guilty. The Bible uses the word righteous. It means we are at a right standing before God. Before Christ in our life, we can't stand before God. We're guilty because of our sin. We have, we have no legs to stand on, okay? We can't stand before him. But now with Christ in our life, we receive his righteousness, and we have a right standing before God. There's an old movie that I love. It's called U.S. Marshals. It's like Tommy Lee Jones and Wesley Snipes. Have you ever seen that? And I like this movie. You should rent it on whatever you have. Anyways, Wesley Snipes is wrongfully accused of killing some people. And so he spends the movie running from the law and also trying to prove that he's not guilty. And Tommy Lee Jones is the U.S. Marshal chasing him all over the place, trying to catch him. And in the meantime, he's finding out what really happened and everything. And at the end of the movie, sure enough, the bad guy is caught. Wesley Snipes is exonerated and it's proven that he didn't do it. And he's coming out of the courtroom, and, and all the reporters want to ask him how it feels, you know, to be, you know, off the hook, basically. I, let me show you this clip. We have this for you. This is good. It's, on, it's short. Is it true that Mark Sheridan was exonerated by this hearing? After considering the facts of the case, the United States Attorney's Office has decided to drop all charges against Mr. Sheridan. He is consequently free to go. Mr. Sheridan, how does it feel to be in from the cold? Righteous. Very righteous. Deputy, do you have anything to add? No. Anything to add? Did you hear that? What did he say? How did it feel? Righteous. And even as a young guy seeing that, I was like, ooh, that, that's Bible language. I mean, that stood out to me. You don't use the word righteous a whole lot in your everyday life other than church life, right? I mean, unless you're like a teenage mutant ninja turtle. But he says righteous. I love that. <laughs> Thanks. When we go from being guilty to not guilty, we are now righteous before God. We're righteous. But here's the deal. Unlike the movie, we were not falsely accused. There's not some explanation we've just been holding on to that we're ready to give God so that he will forgive us. Uh, let me, God, let me tell you what happened. No, no, no. We have rebelled against God. We rejected God and his only way of salvation. We worshiped ourselves instead of him and tried to save ourselves by our deeds and our work and our effort. But we couldn't do it because without Christ, we are not righteous. And that's the problem, of course. No one is righteous. That's Paul's whole point in Romans 1, 2, and most of 3. So the question would be then, is there a righteousness out there that I could have that doesn't belong to me? Is there someone else's righteousness that I could, that I could have? Yes! Okay, I, I thought that would be a, a simple answer. Back to Romans 3 again. You know, many people need to go back and listen to that sermon. Romans 3. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. Now that's interesting. The law and the prophets talk about this way of salvation that is not the law. So people in the Old Testament were able to be justified and declared righteous even before Jesus died on the cross. So how? Well, their hope was in God, okay? That somehow, someday, he would make a way where he would pass over their sins, allowing them to escape the judgment of his wrath, and instead count them as not guilty or, or count them as righteous, okay? 
Paul talks about this in Romans 4. In Romans 4, 3, he says, what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. That is a quote from Genesis 15, 6. Are you with me? Genesis, the first book of the Bible. Way back, Genesis 15, 6. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. Paul continues in Romans 4, talks about King David. He says, just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. He's talking about when David wrote in Psalm 32 and he said, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. And then in Habakkuk, in the prophets, we keep moving forward in the Old Testament. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. So here we go, Genesis, Psalms, Habakkuk, all talking about righteousness coming from faith in God, not from following the law. The great theologian, Michael Hooks, he would say that <laughs> salvation isn't achieved, it's received. Youth guys, they like those rhymes, you know. And he's not here, so they can't, you know, I can make fun of him. But salvation isn't achieved, it's received. I like that. That's catchy. I can remember that. So the question is, uh, who is righteous? And the answer from the Old Testament to the New Testament is consistent. The Old Testament answer is, who is righteous? Those who hope in God. In the New Testament, it's those who hope in Christ, who is God. Are you with me? It's very simple. Our hope, our faith, our belief, all have to be in him and Jesus on the cross to pay the price for our sin. It's the only way to have your standing before God changed from guilty to righteous. Belief. Your good works won't cut it. That's it. Now, the good news doesn't stop there, okay? It continues. God not only justifies us, that's the legal language, giving us his righteousness and saving us from the judgment of his wrath, but number two, it reconciled us. God's love shown in Christ on the cross reconciles us to God. This is now friendship language. Friendship language. Look at verse 10. For if while we were enemies, you can circle the word enemies. That's another way he describes us. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. How? By the death of his son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice or boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. He has reconciled us. I love it, this friendship language. There has been a change in the relationship, one toward another. No longer enemies of God, but now we are friends of God. This is huge. Schreiner says this. He says the difference between justification and reconciliation is that the former emphasizes that believers stand in the right before God as their judge, whereas the latter emphasizes that believers are now friends with God. Do you see how great this is? Do you? God the Father isn't reluctantly letting you into heaven because you figured out the whole Jesus puzzle. He's not saying, all right, come in. You had faith in Jesus, but you were a sinner, and I'm not happy about it. No. This is, this is the, the parable of the lost son, okay? The Father did not welcome the son back as one of the hired workers. Do you remember that was the plan? The son said, okay, I'm going to go back. I've come to my mind. I'm going to ask him if I can just be one of his hired workers. No, 
No, the father has come running, arms wide open, meeting him halfway there and takes him back as family, as son. Reconciliation. This is huge. There's now peace between the father and the son. There's peace between us and God the father where we used to be enemies. You know what it's like to walk into the same room with someone that you, there's like trouble between the two of you? And immediately you hate even being in the room. You're like, I got to get out of here. I got to get out of here. It, it doesn't matter if you did the wrong or if they did the wrong or if you both did the wrong or it's been so long you can't even remember who did the wrong. When you walk into a, wrong with, a room with someone like that, you, you can feel the tension and you, and you can't stand it. That tension's gone between you and God the Father if you have had faith in his son. Reconciliation. Friendship restored. Renewed. No longer enmity between us and God, but peace between us and God. You see, it was our sin that made us enemies with God. But now, having forgiveness of our sins by the blood of Jesus has made it possible for us to be friends with God. No longer enemies. It's good to be friends with certain people, isn't it? It's good. I mean, I got some good friends. Sometimes to my benefit that they love me and my family so much. Okay, if you're friends with certain people, you get to do cool things sometimes. Okay, you do. (laughs) Bill O'Brien was in the first service. If you're good friends with Bill O'Brien, you get to get good seats at the basketball game for the Gators sometimes. You know, if you're good friends with Randy Jones, you get to do all kinds of fun stuff. It's to your benefit to have some good friends. But let me tell you, even though I got good friends, I cannot think of a better friend to have than the all-powerful, all-knowing, all-perfectly loving creator God of the universe. Can you imagine the benefits that you would have getting to be his friend? Reconciliation. Reconciliation. I have complete access to God the Father anytime I want. In our baptism class, I tell the people, I say, just as if at 3 o'clock in the morning... One of my children from across the house yells out, Daddy, I don't care how tired I am or how bad a day I had. I am getting up and going across that house and saying, yeah, what's up? No matter when, where, or for what reason, if I call out to my father, Daddy, he answers. I have complete access to him because he loves me and our relationship has been reconciled. Because God loves us, Christ died for us, making us right with God and making us friends with God. Can I ask you, church family, today, have you been made right with God? Are you friends with God? I I think it's a really simple yes or no answer. And I think when we understand the way salvation is supposed to work, it's also a very certain answer. I don't have to wonder. I know who my friends are. If you ask me if I'm friends with someone and I am, I'm going to say yes. I don't have to go, well, I think, I hope. Am I friends with God? Man, I am. I talked with him this morning. We're friends. I'm righteous. Not because of anything I've done, but because he picked up the arrow that I shot and put it in the bullseye because Christ could hit it. That's it. And if that's not you today, then maybe possibly today in this room you've come face to face with your sin. Maybe you understanding that because of your sin, you are currently an enemy of the one true God. I would urge you to take that step of believing in him and his plan of salvation for you. And you might say, Pastor Brian, what does that look like? Let me let me tell you what it looks like. After Jesus's resurrection. okay, he went back and ascended into heaven to sit by his father in his rightful place in heaven. And he sent God the spirit to his followers 
so that the Holy Spirit would empower them to share the gospel message with the world. Okay? And on the day that happened, Peter, remember Peter? He goes outside and preaches one of the best sermons in history. You can read the whole thing. It's in Acts chapter 2. And when the sermon was over and he had presented the gospel of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, that there was salvation only through him, do you know what the people said? I'll read it to you. In Acts 2, this is what happened. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. Does anybody remember being cut to the heart when you came face to face with your sin? When they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Because it is very clear that nothing we do will ever be good enough. What shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And if that's you today, the answer is the same. Repent, turn away from your sin, and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for forgiveness of your sins. That act puts you into the right relationship with God. It reconciles your relationship to God. And if that's you today, I'm going to make this as easy as possible. I want you to do one of three things, okay? One of three. One, get that piece of paper in front of you and just write, I want to be saved. Put your name and phone number on it and put it in the offering box, and I will call you tomorrow. Two, if you're technologically advanced, text the word decision to that text line, 352-358-7770. Text decision. It will text you right back with a link. You click that link and fill out the form. I will call you. If you can't do either of those two things, I'm going to pray here in a minute. When I'm done, I want you to come grab my arm and say, I want to know Jesus. Will you help me? That's it. I want my relationship with him to be right. I want to be friends with God. That's it. It's the biggest decision you'll ever make. And the church family here at Heritage, we want to be a part of that with you and walk you through that process and see you get dunked in this horse trough. We, we love it. But if that's you, that's, what you need, that's your next step. Let's pray. Father, you are good. You are uber good. You are loving, and it never fails, it never stops, it never quits. It's not based on me and my effort, it's just complete love. You are love, and you have shown that love to us through the picture of your son on the cross in our place. Thank you for an unbelievably great plan. Thank you for your word to teach us this plan, the truth that comes out of it. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you have made a way for us to be friends with you. You are faithful. Father, help us to live lives that are pleasing to you. Fill us with your spirit so that when we leave this place each week as a heritage family, we would be a light in darkness. We love you, Lord. We thank you especially for Jesus and the cross and his blood. Amen.